Well, howdy, everybody. Welcome to an Exponential Hub show. I am Jason Shepard. I plan a church project. We'll talk about that a little bit. My co-host, Dave Edwards, is with me, my wingman, who I like to go everywhere with. And then we're joined by one of the coolest dudes on the planet, Brian Sanders, and I'm excited to talk with him. We're doing a series of Hub shows, about six of them on this first round, and we're talking about what is the church, what is a micro church, what is a house church, what is a church, how pure can we distill the word church down, uh, what are the consequences of all that, what should we be doing and not doing. So, most people who are joining these really love Jesus and they love his church and they love their world and they're giving their life to this calling. And so that's what we're talking about today. I'm honored today to be joined by Brian Sanders. I first ran into Brian, apparently in a very unforgettable way, in Tampa, <laughs> Tampa Underground. And uh, this is what I found about Brian when I listened to him. Um, he, he's an intelligent dude, a critical thinker, widely read is what I wrote down when I was writing my notes about him. He's confident, but he's humble and he's holding on tight to some convictions and really helping the church step into some places where we need to go, but haven't been at least in a very long time. So I'm excited to have some smart conversations with Brian and wrestle a little bit on the things we're wrestling with. Alongside of me is my co-host, Dave Edwards. Dave has spoken and thousands of churches, wrote, written dozens of books, and he's been doing this for 25 years. So Dave's been in a whole lot of churches and seen a whole lot of expression. So hopefully we'll have a great conversation today. Thank you all for joining us. Brian, for those who don't have the privilege of knowing you yet, know where you are, or what you do, would you introduce yourself, your family, your ministry today? Yeah. And by the way, I do remember you, but uh, the reason why I don't, I don't want to say I remember you is because then you're going to, then you're going to expect me to have some level of recall on what we talked about. <laughs> I'd just rather be dumb and. I'm highly unforgettable. Act like I don't, act like I don't remember. Um, yeah. We just came back from Europe. Uh, so I, I was a couple of years in Ireland and trying to stir up some of these ideas in Europe and walk alongside the church there, <clears throat> which is a really, you know, profound and beautiful experience. Before that, I would have been part of um, starting a, um, a network called the Underground, which now has sort of friends or sister movements all over the place. And so that that's my vantage point. It's decentralized, as we were talking about, micro church um networked together rethinking um not just the form of church but the way that the church is governed and structured and yeah. you know uh, all of that the the full, full full robust expression of the church in a new possibly a new way you know or at least for a new time um so i'm still involved with that and um happy to be uh disagreeing with you at some point today <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> We, for those listening, we, we were right. talking about earlier, like we want to we want to look for points of not just agreement, but also disagreement. So, Well, we do have a lot of agreement and I'm excited that you're here. And I think we have some points, too, that we could wrestle on with each other and um, and see. I, I think I'm a good wrestler. I know that you're a good wrestler. So it's always fun to watch wrestling. Um, and where do you do you tell anybody where you are now? Or are you keeping that? I'm in Tampa. Way? Yeah, I'm back in Tampa now. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm not a good like in in. In real life, I'm not a good wrestler. The only time I ever got my butt really kicked uh, was by a wrestler. I just, <laughs> like, I tried to hit him, and then he just did some magic thing to me, and next thing right. you know, I was on the ground, like, in, tied up, and I couldn't move, and I just thought, man, never, never get in a fight with a wrestler. It's I guess bad. not. Uh, anyway. Or admit that you were. <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it was a low moment for me as a teenager. Uh, well, thanks for your <laughs> All right, so first, let's jump into this. Thank you for your introduction of yourself. Uh, in 2010, I planted what I called Church Project. I didn't think it would exist. I didn't know what to do. I had some convictions, and I was willing to jump out of a plane and do it. Sort of had no help, no name, no place, no people, just some things that I'm like, I'm going to at least try this in my life once. I'm going to give it all I got. And I identified us as a church of house churches. Like we were going to start a house church movement, but under the umbrella of one common church. Like we have a, elders who would oversee all of this, whatever this was. I mean, I didn't know if it'd be two house churches or 10 or 20 or 200 or whatever. And so now it's 
grown a whole lot with thousands of people, and we've been able to keep it under an umbrella. Um, we hear a lot now. I didn't know about a church of house churches. I'd never heard that term. I didn't really know about any collection of house churches before that. Most house churches were just people who were gathering in a home somewhere without any identification with anyone else. Um, and I surely had not heard of the term microchurch. But now you're hearing house church a lot of places, and it's looking different for people. You're hearing microchurch in a lot of places. So for people who may be joining us and they don't know, like I did not at some point, what is a microchurch? Well, I mean, uh, I, I suppose I suppose the different. You know, if you're talking about house church. Obviously, that kind of roots you in a geography. It's a place, right? So it's a it's clarity on place. But what it also does for you is it 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 draws the the sort of cognitive lines, the boundaries, as being something that's small, right? So if you say it's a house church, then you're you're allowing yourself to imagine the church as something small, which is pretty liberating, actually, because you start to think about who would lead it and would you need money and all of a sudden things that you thought were essential to the formation and the practice of church actually wouldn't be or wouldn't need to be necessarily like there would be no more no 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 building loan there would be no capital campaigns there would be no you know just just thinking of the church as something small so i think for us that is also um a part of the the theological, the the ecclesiological liberation of thinking of the church as something small. Yeah. Um, so I like the word micro because it's a it has a Greek origin. You know, it's for Jesus would have used or what he said would have been rendered in the New Testament as as little or little ones. You know, like when he says, you know, don't 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 keep little ones from me, or if anyone harms a little one, you know, it's bad for them some of the harshest words he has for anybody uh in in the whole uh of all the gospels is about if you if you hurt or you scandalize the word there is scandalize uh, a little one you know that's that's really bad it reflects the heart of god so i like that word micron there that that gets you know that we obviously the etymology would be we use the word micro but for me it's just like whatever the smallest expression of the church is um wherever so yes it could be in a house for sure and often is but it could be other places too that are that are small containers for the church but essentially the littlest version of the church where you'd have to admit yeah that's a church you know and and i know that that's different for other for everybody you know uh, i know that that would require some kind of uh uh reflection and and some theological conviction about what you think needs to be included in your definition of church but whatever it is mm -hmm. if it's nine things or four things or 50 things or whatever the smallest version yeah the smallest version of what you think makes up a church let's just say that's a little church that's a that's a micro church and and yeah. for me that could it could go anywhere i love that well i think you know House, of course, I agree, denotes what you said. It would have to include micro or small. And micro, of course, would mean small. But it does seem like people who can't get here yet or can't, who can't envision this yet, they understand micro and house. But the word church means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And for whatever reason, I, and it seems like you and others, I'm like, I am just a nerd about ecclesiology. Like, I just, I think it matters so much. In fact, I'm writing a paper on the fact that we, have, we carry all of our doctrine, all of our theology in an undefined, not clearly articulated theology of the church. The ecclesiology carries all the other theology. But people who can't get to micro or house, it's because they have defined church as something else. So I'm hoping that somehow, maybe today, you and I can solve the great dilemma of what is a church. It, I believe a church can fit in a micro. I believe it can fit in a macro. I think it can fit in a house. But if we're going to distill it down into its empirical form, what would we say is a church? And I've heard some things, even in the last couple of weeks, in gatherings with people who are leaders in the church, and what they define as church, I would not say that's a church. So, 
do you have some things that you could enlighten us with to let us know what is a church? Well, yeah, and, and what you're what you're what you're describing is what we would call the ecclesial minimum. You know, like that minimum viable product. Like if you boil down the church to its rudiments or its or its, its simplest form, mm-hmm. and you you know, so you can have more than that. But but if you had these elements, whatever they are, you'd have to say, yeah, okay, I tip my hat. That is a church. You're 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 laying your eyes uh, on a church. So I'd be interested to know what your uh, minimum ecclesiology is. <laughs> So I'm going to ask you that in a second, but but I'll start with, I'll start the bidding at. Uh, it's it's got to be people. You know, something I was thinking the other day. Like I was, I remember years ago, maybe it was like seven years ago. There was a bunch of black churches were being burned, and it was kind of this epidemic where people were going around and vandalizing, burning black churches. And I just remember being kind of like taken aback by the the that that phrasing you know, that black churches were being burned. And I remember sort of being kind of offended. I don't know what the word is like in my intellectually offended, you know, the idea of like, you can't, you can't burn a church. Like actually it's, it's uh, to understand what the church is. You, this is a total misunderstanding. And you sure aren't, those people are surely not burning down black churches. The black church is much more powerful and resilient and impossible, impossible to even find in some sense, you know, uh, in that way. So what, what was really happening is they were burning down buildings, right? They were burning down buildings with steeples and a, and a marquee out front. And, and I'm not saying that isn't, that isn't a horrible crime and a tragedy and whatever, and, and actually a great loss to the church of that community, but they, n- nothing had happened to the actual church. So, I mean, we have to start with this obvious, simple idea. Yeah that we already have broken in a fallacy of equivocation when we say when we use the word church in america people are talking about buildings and they're talking about services gatherings right that's how the word is used so if you're just thinking about what's called generative grammar that is to say the thing means that whatever it means is how people use it not what's in a book or but it's how people use it and churches in america are buildings and I just think that we have to start with that isn't right. And that is that isn't that isn't in God's heart and his mind when he thinks of it. It's it's people. It starts with people. But now I'm gonna ask you, like what makes up the Oh well you did you did start at the minimum for sure. And then yeah, that's you- that's the minimum. You took <laughs> you took the easiest one. Well, let me let me build on that and say for people who are watching this, I actually think it's very important for those who are leading in the church to start changing language that is wrong. And so for us, like I, I, all the time, it's already happened today. I met a guy and he said, were you at the church today? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'll ask them what they mean. And then I'm like, do you mean, did I, did I go to the building where the church sometimes gathers for stuff? And uh, he said, yeah, I guess that's what I mean. And I said, well, Okay, let's. So we're working always to change the language. And so if we're going to change people's understanding of the church, I think we should work on language. Um, So I'll throw a few things out for you so you can tell me where you disagree. And this is honestly where I'd love to wrestle. And we have other things to talk about. Like, for example, are there such things as pastors? What are pastors? What's the difference between someone who's leading a microchurch and someone who is a pastor? Have another couple of questions in this. How does pastoring change between Michael Church and traditional church model? Another church. Another question. Should we throw all the old stuff out? He's just, he's just teasing me now, Dave. He's just, he's just that's he's, right. Yeah. Just, should should we throw all the old stuff out and just start over with micro or house church stuff? But if we don't get to those, we'll add another hub show on and we'll get to it. Cause I'd love to bang this down and get an answer today. What is a church? So at least we know it's not a building, it's people. So let's stop calling buildings churches. But what else is a church? I would say a few things that Ralph Moore and I have discussed and that uh, I've wrestled this out with him too. A church would have mission, like together we have a mission. The mission has to be about the gospel. That would include evangelism and discipleship. So if I got three dudes sitting around playing checkers 
and all they do is play checkers and they're not about discipling each other or evangelism, they're not a church. They're just a group of guys who may be Christians or not Christians or whatever, but they're not a church because a church is people, a church is mission. And for me, the mission at least is clearly as gospel and evangelism. And I would also add on there meeting needs. I mean, all the things Jesus told the church to do, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, get water to the thirsty, taking care of the widow, the orphan, the oppressed. So if the church is, if there are people who were gathered around evangelism and discipleship and carrying out these uh, acts that Jesus told us to, I think that would be the next level of church. I would say people, and then who are the people and what are they doing? I would add that on. I would probably at some point, I hope we'll talk about this, get into leadership. I mean, Paul would go into a place, he would share the gospel, he would lead people to Christ, and sometimes, even Raph and I talk about this in Tampa, where I first unforgettably met you, Uh, Raph and I talked there that Paul would immediately raise up even elders of a church who were not believers yesterday, and then he left town. I like to say he didn't leave them there. Paul would follow up um, by proxy, by pen, or in person. Paul would keep discipling them. He'd write them a letter, he'd send somebody to them, or he'd show up in person. But um, So I think the next level beyond people is, well, we have mission. The mission is gospel and discipleship. Are people carrying that out? And the mission is doing ministry together. And then I talk about leadership too. Those are some base next level things. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you left out Jesus, but uh, I'll, I'll give you one pass on that one. Discipleship, evangelism. I know, I'm just playing with you. I'm just playing with you. I think you. that's all the gospel. It's implicit. It's implicit. That's why you're here, to help <laughs> to catch these small problems. By the way, everybody, this is about Jesus. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Well, the, so the vertical, obviously, and then the, the two planes of the horizontal, right? So the, the part, of what, part of what defines a church is in submission to the headship of Jesus, who is who is meant. I mean, the first definition of the church, I think, of any ecclesiology has got to be rooted in our Christology. In other words, we are the people of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, we are we are we're the saved. We're the, we're the saints. Whatever. Um, and so, for me at least, that implies lordship. It implies scripture, submission to the scriptures. You know, the word of God, which is Jesus embodied. Um, you know all of all of the things which we would traditionally conventionally ascribe to um, the, the, dev- the devotional life, a life of intimacy with God, and and so on. And then to your point, um, mission isn't an option. So you know, to to be the people of God, you have to do the will of God, the work of God, right? Mm-hmm. And to say, yeah, we are the people of God. We love Him. We sing songs to Him. But then we ignore him, and we we don't we are not his hands and feet in the world, his sort of incarnated presence in the world. Well, then that that doesn't meet a minimum definition of what it means to be the people of God. Because if we are his body, it's a very important the, the sort of corporeal expression of Jesus Himself, His heart, His will, His desires, His His voice in the world. Well, then we're not the church. We're not actually His his people if we're not his physical presence in the world and and to your point which i think is well said it's it's both the proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration so mission is really important and maybe in some ways mission is the first thing we have to do in church planting instead of thinking because we've gotten it wrong probably just thought we could start a service or we could just begin with worship but then we never we never we think one day we'll get around to mission i think you don't that's not how you plant a church you, you start with mission if God sees it, blesses it, kisses it with his presence, then people will come to faith. They'll become disciples. And then you have a church, you know, then, then you've come to church. So, so for us, it was a simple worship community mission, the coalescence of those three things. That's our sort of scaled back, simplest version of ecclesiology. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for clarifying that and adding into my definition and correcting me. (laughs) You knew, you knew, by the way, I, I I don't, I hope this isn't a a deviation, but you know, mission itself, I think is nuanced, you know, so, so, and this is something we've learned. um, I probably, probably like it's a cautionary tale, 
you know, we thought we'll just do missions. So then somebody goes out and like gives sandwiches to the homeless or something like that. And for us, that was always enough. That was like, I would, I, I would have defined mission as just expanding the boundaries of the kingdom of God in some way, you know, but actually I think I'm learning or I'm beginning to see again that when Jesus sent people on mission, um, he gave them these sort of, this sort of tripartite, uh, work which is to to proclaim the kingdom um to heal the sick and to cast out demons and i'm just not sure that that has changed in point of fact so those three things so mission in a sense could also be broken up into three things and so i think of it as like this this sort of uh, circle of the kerygma you know the message of the gospel that that is one circle that is one part of mission that we're meant to meant to do uh the other is 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 the kind of dynamic the the power dynamic we're, we're meant to speak truth to power we're meant to pull down strongholds we're meant to confront evil right. i mean that is actually a part of mission Right. Uh, I, I would say one third of the call of mission is is to get out there and to pick a fight with the devil uh, somewhere, you know. And then and then the third aspect of mission is this. I mean, the word there in Greek is 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 therapy. It's therapos, right? It's to heal, and and to heal even even in the New Testament construction of that is not necessarily to make your disease go away, but it's to make you better, it's to make you feel better, to make you well, which is why often when Jesus would heal people, they would all go away feeling better. It's like you go to your doctor to, like, I feel bad and then I feel better. That work too, that therapeutic work is just as much a part of mission. But I, what I've seen, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but what I've seen in our mission-driven communities, which is what we are, we tend to major in one of those three things. We tend to sort of like uh, reduce mission down to just power and fighting the powers and whatever, or just preaching or just healing and making people better or wellness. And each of them is sort of given to its own error. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you, if you only do the one thing, you sort of miss it. You miss the, kiss, the kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom. So even mission, even that one circle of the three for us is, has depth it has dynamism to it and and we want it all you know what i mean uh, we want to somehow be a community that cares about the healing and the well-being of people yeah that that is actually trying to confront evil in all its forms and is and is always proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and this eschatological future which we've been promised no i think that's beautiful and i think it's good yeah. to define that to identify that mission has different uh, metrics that we should be looking at. But I mean, you, you would agree with this, I think, especially based on your explanation that you just had, that there are plenty of people who would not be attached to the church that are actually carrying out some of the mission of the church in the world with justice or fighting evil. But for the for it to be the church's mission, it has to have a connection to Jesus himself and his salvation, right? exactly that's i mean uh, exactly so and and actually even within that that sort of three-part that tripartite calling to neglect one so for example if you're a therapist like if you if you're a trained counselor or a trained psychotherapist or something you're trained to have something they call unconditional positive regard so in other words when you're sitting across from your your client they can say some crazy stuff. They can say some they're bad things they're doing, right? And you're you're supposed to, as a counselor, not to to hold them in this unconditional positive regard, which is a part of how you help them guide them towards healing, right? Yeah. But if but if that is the only thing that drives you in mission, unconditional positive regard towards a sinner or towards a person who's far from God or towards a person who's doing something quite bad, you know, that needs to be confronted. You can see how mission would drift and how how you would lose the kingdom slowly over time how you would think well i just i think all these people that are doing things that are questionable scripturally or actually oppressing people or something like that i don't judge that i love them i just want them to feel better like we need each other you need that prophetic where is evil and go go fight that evil to interact with that desire to see someone be well and be whole and you need the the message of the kingdom and the message of jesus and the gospel also to interact with that so when we only pick one right 
even though we're missional, this is what I'm saying, even though we're, we're, we're fired up for mission and we are acting in mission, in other words, we're, 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 we're meeting needs, we're caring for the people around us, we're actually doing something, not just looking after ourselves, you still, there still is not the fullness of the kingdom and we will lose over time, we will lose Jesus. We'll call it orthodoxy, call it whatever you want. But, and, and I, I, I think in real time, we're seeing that for those of us that have been in the missional game longer and actually have communities, which are, you know, come, you know, a couple decades in or whatever, I'm telling you, this is a, this is a concern. I mean, well, I, I think I, it's, a, go ahead, Dave. No, I'm not, I think that, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is beautiful. You know, one of the things that we have happened on the exponential podcast is every so often we have people that are texting in questions and in response to both of what you're saying, someone has uh, sent in a question of what's the biblical context for this? Like, can you attach what you're doing in terms of microchurch and house church, both to a a biblical example? Is there something as scripture that inspired you to do what you're doing? I mean, I mean, listen, yes. And if we want to spend some time doing that, we can, but honestly, and, and, and I don't know who's asked the question. So only love, I don't, only love to you and no offense intended, but have you read the New Testament? Because I would argue you, you need the, the burden of proof is on a macro expression of the church to show me how that's biblical. The meeting of house to house, the, 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 the planting of churches in people's homes, the, the expression of churches in marketplace. And this, this is the story of the book of Acts. It's not, the, the burden isn't on microchurch or house church to to make an argument for why it's a viable expression of the church. The burden is on a westernized, yeah. Romanized, you know, re- Protestant Reformation driven, uh, industrial revolution, disc- you know, defined version of the church. Which, by the way, is fine. I I think that's a contextual expression of the church, which is helpful and beautiful and powerful in its own way. But I mean, <laughs> and again, please, I do not mean to be offensive. And if, if I could, you know, maybe speak to the person directly, I would, I would, I would probably would feel terrible. I don't mean to be like that, but, but come on, it, read the new Testament. The new Testament is describing the church in a small way and in a city and in a sense of like the church exists in the city as, as a, as a collective. And then it exists in smaller units house to house that's what it was at first i mean jason do you have a response to that or well no i'm glad you responded first and, uh, <laughs> thank you well I, I agree with what you're saying and, and to the to this point brian when i first started this i mean it, i had so much resistance uh here in our city and nobody bought into it it took so long it took years for really uh very many people to come together and i had a pastor in our city sit down with me fairly angrily once it started to get traction. And he said, why do you call these people pastors? And why do you call them house churches? And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll get out my Bible and I'll explain this to you. And you get out your Bible and you explain it to me and we'll talk about it. And he sat there for a minute and he said, I can't explain to you from the Bible why I do what I do or call them what I call them. And I said, I know. I said, I can. Would you like for me to? And so, you know, I I would say this as well. If the scriptures had one, I mean, I've read through the pastoral letters maybe a hundred times. I've read through Acts, the story of the church a lot. The gospel is the story of Jesus' life, his teaching, uh, how we should believe and behave. If there was a place that had a clear, concise definition of exactly what the church should be, then we'd all be doing it and be easy to say what's wrong. Um, I would say some people are pointing fingers at people out of um, arguments of silence, which is a hermeneutical no-no. I mean, we can't say something is right or wrong based on silence. But we have plenty of prescriptives and plenty of descriptives of the church in Scripture. And I think also some of the silence is so that we can have the freedom and the flexibility to have different expressions of the church in different places. So for people who believe that the way they've done it is the only way, I think, wow, that's really, it's a, it's a, it's a strong, but flawed foundation. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. And it's really constricting. Yeah. And, and, And let me, let me just add to part of what I'm 
saying or describing is if I say microchurch, what I mean is the smallest viable expression of the church that you can conceive. So this is this, it's right. almost ontological, you know, like I'm asking you to answer the question. Yeah. What do you think the smallest, I mean, maybe to you, it's an organ and a stage and 30 people in a, in a, in a sanctuary. Okay. Then that's your, that's your smallest ontological view of the church. And I, all I'm saying is then, then we, we, we should allow ourselves to have lots of those, you know, to, to boil it down. And then to allow people to make those, to plant those. I just don't think, I think it's smaller than we think or smaller than we thought. Yeah. So if you did pare it back, you, you probably would think, well, it doesn't need a VBS to be a church. I'm like, no, does it need a, does it need a, a church secretary to be a church? No. So you, you can let go actually of some of these, these unspoken expectations of what it means to be a church. And all I'm really encouraging people to do is just do that just just go like do that exercise in imagination and whatever you're left with whatever you end up with in the end it's probably smaller than you thought it's probably less expensive than you thought and it probably could be led by more people than we originally thought and so that allows if you care about you know kind of saturation or you want to see the church everywhere you want to see the church anywhere where people are or people in need are then you would you would be happy for that simpler version of the church. Right. Again, it's not saying we don't want or couldn't have more complex, more sophisticated expressions of the church. We can, but by by releasing that smaller iteration of the church, there. I mean, at, at heart, I'm a I'm a missionary. I I think like a missionary. I I dream like a missionary. I I. I think in terms of missiology. So the, the, my real question is, how do we cover the earth? How does the glory of God cover the earth as yeah. the waters covers the sea? It, w- it, it probably won't be through these monolithic, singular, uh, yeah. hierarchical versions of the church. I mean, that has been tried, and it hasn't worked. And if somebody, somebody needs to write a book about that. Mm-hmm. Right, for sure. Yeah. Brian, does a micro church need a pastor? That's interesting. So, Jason, Jason, you use that word for your house church leaders? You use pastor for house church leaders? Yeah. So, we, we started using what I wanted to just rob as um, biblical nomenclature a church and a pastor. And so, we do, we use the word pastor. Uh, I, I would say even spoke last week. It's something uh, we have elevated what it means to be a small group leader. And um, we've empowered and identified uh, and equipped, I hope, someone to pastor. Like, like in every one of our house churches, there's an identified pastor. For me, a definition of church would probably include um, a leader. Leadership. Yeah, somebody yeah. who's empowered and identified to help shepherd this. I also believe in a plurality of leadership, which is why we have elders for accountability and support and encouragement. And by the way, I also believe in a connectivity of leaders. I'll give you an example of this. Guy showed up in our gathering, our Sunday gathering one Sunday. He came to our church building. Just kidding. He showed up in our gathering <laughs> one Sunday, and I'm like, "Hey, nice to meet you." And you know, there's maybe a thousand people walking around, and. I, I'm having a conversation with this guy, and I said, where are you from? He tells me a story, and I said, have you been, ever been a part of attached to Jesus people before? And he's like, yeah. He said, I've been a part of a house church for the last five years. I said, great. I said, well, why aren't you with those people today? And he said, well, he said the, the house church pastor got cancer, lost his job, and they had to move and go somewhere else. And I said, well, where's the house church? And he said, well, I had to shut down. And I said, well, the beauty of all these house churches being connected is that we would support that house church pastor. In fact, he wouldn't have to move to go live with family because we would collectively help pay their mortgage or the house church would help do that. Or beyond that, um, we'd help raise up another house church pastor, or we'd help you guys come together in another house church until we can identify and raise up and equip a leader for you. So I believe in, in identifying and equipping a leader, a pastor, a shepherd over every smaller community. And then we want to support them with overseeing eldership. So yeah, we, we mean church when we say house church, like house church pastors, they, 
I mean, they do weddings and funerals. They often baptize people in their pools. They're meeting people's needs. They're do- all benevolence happens in a house church. If somebody comes to our church and they want to talk to me, they can't get to me because we're trying to deconstruct the whole idea of this church that they've come from. So I'm like, the church is, is meeting in a neighborhood somewhere. Yeah. And so, yeah, we use those words. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we, I have a, I have a, a friend who's in Texas who's trying to do kind of a decentralized movement. And I'm trying to give him a little bit of coaching or something. And it's interesting because the other day I thought maybe maybe you should use the word pastor. You know, in Texas, maybe it's a, it's an honorific. It's empowering. You know, it's clear. Like you you know, it it does something to shift the balance of power, the sort of equilibrium of power to the. To the that locality that house church we wouldn't so so my argument would be um you know the the word pastor is as a gifting it's a biblical gifting right so and <clears throat> i would be just as happy for one of the other five or the other four biblical kind of offices or gifting to be leading uh, a microchurch apostle prophet evangelist or yeah. teacher uh, and actually, we would would rather use or employ the word elder as a leader of a microchurch because um, just the way my sort of church governance, the way I read the New Testament is that churches should be led by elders. So I think, okay, eldership is character. It's rooted in character, not gifting. So in other words, I want a microchurch leader to to meet a certain standard for their character, not necessarily have a particular gifting. So, you know, if you have a pastoral gift, then I'd say you should call yourself a pastor or people should call you pastor or people should call you shepherd or something like that, because that defines you. Uh, but you could have other giftings. And as long as you carry a certain a certain standard of character, so, uh, you know, the, st- the standard for an elder in the New Testament, I would say, you know, you're qualified to be a leader of a church. You know, do, are, do you have a good reputation in the community? Can, right. can you rightly handle the word? You know, is your family healthy? You know, that's nothing to do with gifting. That's to do with the kind of person that you are. So again, but it's interesting to me because, okay, if I lived in Texas, you know, if, if I was in a context where I really just want to empower and I really want to be clear that, that, ordinary people can lead small expressions of the church they can be called by god to lead maybe i would employ that term so i what i think it does it's not so much me disagreeing with you as me saying there there has to be some latitude to i think in in the in the formation of microchurch networks house church networks some latitude to contextualize and to allow the heart of it which is the empowerment of the priesthood of all believers Right. accountability a matrix of accountability over those people so it's a it's an equivocation thing right so when i say when i hear the word pastor i hear a gift like you're gifted to be a shepherd but maybe in texas when you hear the word pastor you think leader actually what the word means yeah. is church leader mm-hmm. so it works maybe it makes sense to use it in that way uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah well i think here it is helpful to if we're if we're decentralizing the leadership which is one of our biggest goals and yeah. distributing it to people so that there is a priesthood of believer where a fireman and an engineer and a teacher and a doctor and all these people who are actually pastoring house churches we we need to empower them with the term pastor but I, I mean, pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, whatever word we want to use, or maybe not use any of those words, we completely agree the qualifications, the, the character qualification for a pastor, elder, bishop, overseer have to be embodied by the, whatever person is leading, whatever you call them, they right. have to have those character qualifications. And also, I would say doctrinally, like Titus chapter 2, verse 1, uh, as well, teach them sound doctrine. So, um, and we got to give people like Ralph Moore and I have talked about, we got to give people a little room to grow in their doctrine. If we wait till everybody's fully formed doctrinally, man, we're, we're not going to be raising anybody up. But so what is our purest base for launching somebody to be a leader of a micro church or a house church? Uh, that'd be another conversation somewhere. Um, for the, to, to wrap up the last question, about scripture, I would just tell the person who asked that and other people who wonder, like, I'm, we have to synthesize a lot of things in scripture to help define church because it wasn't given in a chapter or a paragraph. There's plenty of DNA elements in scripture to help you know what a church is. 
Beyond that, I'd be really careful to say, biblically, this is a church. Find what Scripture says about a church, how they lived and practiced, described and defined it, and then don't be dogmatic about what's next. And one of the things that I can't stand the most are these believers who are dogmatic about extra biblical things when it comes to the church. I think it's really dangerous and hurtful. That's good advice. Yeah. We've um, had another. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. Well, oh, well, we just had one, another question sent in. I want to read it to both of you. Uh, the focus on small is great. I love it. However, do you think we can accomplish more through a more organized resource staffed expression? Um, yeah, I guess we'll divert to that, Dave, and um, skip some of our other questions that I thought might be more important than that. But well, I, mean, uh, you, I, I think I think you would just say yes or no. Well, the short the short answer to that right? is no. The short answer to that is no. And you can you can look at. Uh, Ed Stetzer's early work in terms of what, when you have small church planting, what you have higher levels of discipleship, higher levels of baptisms, higher level of community engagement. So in other words, when the church is expressing itself in sm- church planting, so it's small, it's, it, it, even when it accidentally is small, so it hopes to be big one day, even though it shouldn't, uh, it tends to be more effective. So per capita, it's cheaper and it's more effective at discipleship and, and, and better at evangelism and better at community engagement when the church is smaller. So that's just empirically true. That's that's a sociological reading of the church. Also, I would say I would make an argument over time. So the majority, 90% of churches in America right now are less than 100 people, something right. like that. Or less than 500 people. 75% are less than 100 people. So so actually if you just say statistically speaking, what is the church? Like let's define a church. Like I don't know, you're a Martian or something you say define the church sociologically anthropologically what is the church it's something actually less than 100 people that's what it is statistically most of the time and over over history over the course of history that's what it is so just just if we look at the church and say okay the church is a thing which god is leading or god has shaped or god has scattered through the world and we assume just for a second we have a high view of god and we assume for a second that he's not absentee that he's not failed miserably at the design and the implementation and the execution of his church just that we have not screwed it up so bad that it's he's up there going i just really wish the church was ten thousand. every church was ten thousand people right he's so sad and so upset that this hasn't happened ever in history except a few times a few statistical outliers right then we, we begin to think, okay, well, maybe actually that's the preferred size. It's, 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 it's what's called the Goldilocks effect. You know, there's, it's possible that a thing can be too big or too small, and there is such a thing as sort of an ideal size. It's interesting to me that we, to my knowledge, in the work of ecclesiology, it's very rare. I've never seen anyone actually try to treat the question of the Goldilocks effect. What is the ideal size of a church everyone just assumes we're americans right so everyone just assumes bigger must be better you know a church of 500 is better than a church of 100 obviously a church of a thousand is better than a church of 500 obviously no one has questioned that assumption and my my feeling is why like maybe that's true but but the data has not borne that out bigger churches have diminishing returns in those key things that we care about in terms of the effective mission, and they're more expensive. So we're talking about one, one statistic I saw was like a million dollars. We, we, we spend a million dollars in America for one baptism. So whatever that, that infrastructure is, yeah, well. that, that is that expensive or that costly, it deserves, if you're just a pragmatist, so no no the and there's plenty of reasons theologically to change our minds here but if you're just a pragmatist if you just think man how can we how can we reach more people how can we how can more people hear the gospel how can more people respond to jesus the love of jesus for them you you'd look for a cheaper simpler version and it's out there it's out there it is out there and i think you know the the caution in that because we would throw a caution out with those kind of decisions would be there are a lot of churches who are small who are not fulfilling the calling and mission of the church just because they're small. Fair enough. Fair and enough. So, yeah. But I agree with you. The goal to be big is, I think, a really big, bad goal. Um, so, 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 so can we just like um, nuance that by saying, yeah, I, in fact, I love that point. Just because you're small doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, oh, you're now this, this 
perfect preferred version of the church because you're small. But it's like a big hope and a big ambition for the kingdom, not your church. So, so not to see control, command and control over more people somehow in your brand, but to hope and dream of seeing the, the, the kingdom of God grow through what you're doing. And I think that probably the simplest way to do that is to take a small group of people who are outward focused and missional, who want to grow, but want the kingdom to grow. And so then you're just seeing lots more of these littler things, little vital, powerful, missionary communities. You can multiply those. And in the end, you are big. I mean, you aren't big because your brand doesn't necessarily hold all of that, but the kingdom gets bigger. So there's not, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think if somebody is small, great. As long as your mentality is, you're calling it multiplication of small. Good. Yeah. Or saturation. That's good. Dave, Dave, you have any clarification on that point? No, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. And we have to always remember, I think that, you know, the definition of a church is, is that it equals Christ Jesus in the world. It doesn't, you know, we're not building cliques. We're building something that's going to expand the kingdom. So, Brian, one of the things that we haven't talked about that people have wrestled with when it comes to house church or when it comes to micro church is this connectivity where there is some beauty in, let's say, corporate worship. My micro church is five people or my house church is 20, but corporate worship for the connectivity of all your house churches, the connectivity of all your micro churches. Additionally, the connectivity of, hey, you know what? There are some things that my teenager needs that can't just be found in my micro church slash house church, but maybe collectively, like we'll, we would say, I have single mom at house church 2, 12, 22, 32, 42, 52, who we want are living in this diverse community. But there's also a benefit to some relationship that she could have with people who she wouldn't otherwise know unless there's a connectivity. Single mom, young adult, student. So, and also the, so the beauty of connectivity and the beauty of corporate worship. What are your thoughts about that in a microchurch or house church expression? That's no, I, I've, I really do agree. I think um, I was just talking to a friend yesterday about, um, you know, the irony is I'm probably styled as somebody that is against big corporate worship services, you know. Um, and the reason why that's ironic is because I think big corporate worship services are really important, like profoundly important for missionaries. So in other words, if you could get, if you could, if you gathered people weekly or monthly or whatever, quarterly to, to worship, to, to, to sing with one voice, to listen to one word, um, it's everything. It's like life giving it, it, it's fuel for the church. If you're doing mission six days a week, but if you do the exact same thing right. with nominal Christians who think that the church is just a thing you come to and, and yeah. you're a spectator of once a week and you give some money, it's actually destroying the church. So the, 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 the corporate worship thing, it's such a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, it could be everything for the life of a missionary community, a dispersed, empowered sent scattered missionary community a network of yeah. of churches it's like air to your lungs you know coming up from air from 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 a week of being submerged you know it's everything and yet do the exact same thing for people that that do not put into practice who hear his words and do not put them to practice. It is like building on sand. We're actually destroying the foundation of the church, the conception of the church, what it means to be the church, all these problems with, with Christian nationalism and, and, and this sort of false, the bearing false witness to the church and the world. We're all trying to dig ourselves out of a hole that nominal people are making because they go and visit a church service once a week and they're making a bad name for, for those of us that actually love people and love and are ready to die actually for our neighbor. 
and and for the oppressed and and so on. So I'm not I'm not trying to be mad at that or mad at those people. But what I'm saying is, the, the, and maybe this is a good example of 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 the tool is not the issue. The tactic is not the issue. It really isn't. And we got we have to pull ourselves away from tools and tactics and and designing oh let's just do a new t- a new technique or something around the church when it's fundamentally about being a missionary people you know well that might be the best explanation of that i've heard i mean that that was really good and i hope people will listen to that and re-listen to that um because you know you see people saying bad or good it's in either or yes do it or no, don't do it, and here's why. But there is a beauty in it, but there's such a danger in it too. And I don't understand if a, if a corporate worship service is a biblical corporate worship service, it can't be dead. If these people are on mission, they can't be dead. I went to Malta a couple of years ago. I was invited, and they were missionaries from Africa, the Middle East, everywhere. It was a very quiet thing, a couple of hundred people, Nobody could take pictures, no names. And I'm telling you, you want to see worship? It's from these missionaries who are laying their line down, right. down for the gospel. And I like it when we get together and our people are passionately worshiping the Lord. I know they've been in a dark world all week. Right. And they just need to be around other believers for an hour and a half or so and be fed the word and, and let worship wash over them. And then they're going to get back to it. I, and that's why, for me, the idea of a corporate worship service being the evangelistic tool, I just I could I could write books about why I think that's so bad. And so um, I think a guy after a podcast with Rob Moore from Australia called me, and he's like, uh, "What's in your context? In your definition, what is the what's your model of evangelism?" And I said, "My approach to evangelism is evangelists. That's it." We are discipling people who become evangelists where they live all day long, living on mission. It's not the Sunday service gathering. Oh, that's brutal. Thank you for saying anything to add to that, Brian. Oh, good. No, yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's really good. Well said, Brian. That was so good, man. Thank you. Um, So before we wrap up, we have eight minutes left. I had all these other questions that we're not going to be able to get to. So maybe we'll have to add on a number seven, Brian, if you'd be willing to. And I'll remind you, I'm Jason. Uh, This is forgettable. So what do we do with mega churches or let's just say large churches? I mean, Mm -hmm. the statistics, we're we're close somewhere. I've understood it. 80% of churches are 200 or less people on Sunday. A church over 2,000 is in the point, top point. 0.03% of church sizes in, a, in the nation. Right. So, so what about churches that are 200, 300, 400, 500, 1,000, 2,000 or more? And uh, we're stuck in this m- expression, a model, I would say, and they know how to get out. Is it possible to get out? First, I will say it is, but it's really hard. I've walked with people and I've seen them do it. And they've loved it, but it's brutal. What would you tell a church to do if they're a pretty much a Sunday come to the building program? My small group or Sunday school or whatever is not really functioning on mission together and uh, what the church is supposed to be. What do people do, Brian? I mean, if we're just going to get America saturated with the gospel with new churches, we're in trouble. So we got to transition. What do you what do you tell people to do? Well, first of all, yeah, I would say um, do count the cost. You know, don't don't rush into a change like that. I think it can be um, it can be very costly, and um, you know, we do a, we do an assessment, a missional readiness assessment on churches that looks at eight different systems within the life of a church and score. The life of the church in those eight systems to see how ready it would be sort of how open or warm it would be towards that kind of change in other words there's a lot there's a lot of there will be a lot of resistance essentially change management is about is about managing or dealing with resistance and you know there you know and if you go get an organ transplant there's something called graft versus host disease if you get a new liver it's possible that your body will say this isn't this doesn't go here this is this a foreign object this is a contaminant you know and it will actually your immune system will actually destroy you 
you know, destroy the thing which has come to save you, you know. So all churches, all organizations, all entities have immune systems that 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 will attack the new idea, the foreign idea, because it is a threat to the system. And it is. I mean, even if it means to bring life, it is it is new and it doesn't belong. It can tell it doesn't belong. So my advice to churches, I mean, unless you unless your sort of missional readiness score would be very high. Uh, I, my advice is to is to essentially start traditional churches can start a microchurch network on the side. They can create a, a, a parallel entity, a parallel organization which they own, which they you know supervise, whatever. But it needs to have its own rules. It needs to have its own goals. Yeah. It needs to have its own bylaws, its own way of operating, its own funding, for example. Um, but if you're but if you're dead set on changing your system changing your church if you have to do it then i would say there's three things that have to change in this order the first would be your mind so you've got to change everyone's mind including yours about theology and the ecclesiology and this sort of new new definitions you've got to get into the the the, the minds of your people two you have to change your money that means it's a lot of what we do is is an economic system it's an economic yeah. It's a fiscal pattern and you, you, you create what's called legacy budgets. Like it's been the same probably for 30 years. I mean, essentially this much money goes to staff, this much money goes to buildings, this much money goes to programs, this much money goes to missions. Very hard to disentangle yourself from that economic model. The money comes from, from pl- passing the plate on a Sunday morning. You're trapped by that economic model. So first thing you do is got to liberate your money. And that could be talking to key givers in the, in your church and just saying, will you, can we create a separate fund? Yeah. Uh, can we, you've got to get that money liberated. And the last thing is the model. Don't try to change your model for how you do church first. <laughs> if you do that, you're just going to blow up. You literally will blow up. I mean, unless it's a miracle or something, but uh, so, so really like the, the hard work of theology and changing minds, then liberate your system financially. You've got to find a way to get out from under that financial thing. Then go model. Then try to implement a model change. That's so good. The people that I've helped transition, which has just been a few, um, I spend so much time on the minds and they want to jump to the model immediately. And I'm like, we got to get back. This has got to be driven by conviction, by theology. You got to be able to teach and preach this. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we wrap this up, Dave Edwards, one minute. Any summary thoughts? Uh, I, I think that I, I, I love the voice today. I love, Brian, what you brought to it. And I think we're helping people to think outside of where they are and just assuming that it's always got to be big and showy. And so I hope that our listening audience will be uh, provoked somewhat to, yeah. you know, I've sat in a lot of meetings with Jason where they wanted to jump right to the model and, and not wade through the, the idea of changing our thinking and saying, what's this going to look like? As our culture changes, what's church going to look like in five years? We have to, and I think we have to apply some of the things that you're thinking about in terms of changing our way of thinking and our, our assumptions about church. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Hey, Brian, I want people to be able to get your stuff continue to learn from you. If a church is going to transition and they, you're going to give them this filter that you just showed us, how would they get to you? They need to read some of your books. I'm telling you, if you're listening to yeah. this, you need to be provoked in your thinking and you need to read some of Brian's stuff. It's very good. Brian, would you recommend the top on this topic, the top two books that you've written that you would encourage people to read? And then secondly, if somebody needs some help in these transitions, where would they go? Well, um, I mean, I wrote a book um, called Underground Church, which is more our story and maybe more infrastructure around it's 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 just a, it's an it's a version it's a way of potentially trying to provide governance around a decentralized network. Um, and then I more recently wrote a book called Microchurches, which is really probably more of like a field guide. It it allows it, a little bit of the theology of it, but. If you want to start one, if your people want to start a microchurch, what does that mean? How would you do it? So that's probably that could be helpful. And then I think we we do have this this missional readiness assessment thing. So if people are interested in that, I think I think it's connected to our brave future.org. 
think if you go to bravefuture.org, there's probably a link there that says missional readiness assessment light. You can do a, a, a sort of survey version uh, to try to get a score that way. So that's, that's something we talked about. So bravefuture.org. If there's not a link on there, there will be very soon. I think there is. Yeah, I think there is. Uh, Underground Church and Micro Church are two books that I would highly recommend. I've read them. They're great. They're, They're good reads. From Brian. And um, so, Dave, thanks for being my wingman again, as always. Absolutely. Brian, Love it. Thanks for taking a lot of time to be with us and sharing your brilliance with the world again yet today. But also, let me just tell you, thank you for forging some paths that are hard and, uh, and, and, and persevering in that which I think is the toughest thing. So thanks. Good to have a conversation with you. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining us.